Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and I'm recording this on Thursday the 3rd of January 2019. So, Happy New Year if you listen to these things quite soon after they're posted, uh, otherwise happy middle of February or whenever it is. This week's episode features a conversation with Caspian Whistler, the creative director and editor-in-chief of A Profound Waste of Time, the big, beautiful video games magazine that uses fantastic illustrations and long first-person articles to really get under the skin of making and playing video games. Like many independent publishers, Cass used Kickstarter to fund the magazine, and it's really interesting to hear how that shaped the project, both in terms of the freedom and opportunity that comes with raising a lot of money up front, but then also the pressure and the sense of responsibility to deliver something that his backers would enjoy. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you'll know that we like to get stuck into the difficulties and struggles, and it's fair to say that Cass had a bit of a nightmare with this one, but I'm very pleased to say that the magazine has been very well received and in fact even after a reprint it's still seriously hard to get hold of copies. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and I hope it inspires you to go out in search of a profound waste of time. Cass, thank you very much for coming and joining us at Somerset House. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Stephen. I'm really excited to be here. This is really cool. So you are the creative director and editor-in-chief of A Profound Waste of Time. Uh, I think it's sensible maybe you start by telling us a little bit about what is this profound waste of time? (laughs) Okay, so uh, A Profound Waste of Time initially started as like a zine, like a little self-published thing. I made it as a second-year student at Chelsea. Um, I was doing graphic design communication and it's kind of evolved since then into like this big kind of 186 page publication which is aiming to sort of like elevate sort of um, discussion and um, sort of the expression of like video games as an art form Uh, and we do that with like this big (laughs) this big publication which I've been working on for about a year and a half now (laughs) but yeah so that's bit that's the long and short of the project really. Um, So you've mentioned the word big about four (laughs) times already. Because it is quite big yeah I mean um it's, just, it's funny, like, I haven't really um, been thinking about it, but I'm sitting with you now in this room, and I'm looking at it, <laughs> and sort of in sort of, like, just discussing and sort of talking about it to people, it is quite like a, it's quite like a massive undertaking of a project. Um, I think making anything on your own is a massive undertaking, for sure. Um, but the degree to which, like, uh, this publication has kind of, like, grown... Uh, it, it, it almost did it without my control, really. It's just ballooned into this kind of behemoth <laughs> that we're seeing right now, yeah. Uh, and um, Kickstarter played a very important part in that growth. because yeah. uh, So there you were making your little zine <laughs> and you were limited by all the things that you'd normally be limited by when you're, you're mm. making a little zine. Mm. And then you had the bright idea of running a Kickstarter campaign. So to tell us, like, how did that go and then how did that lead to this big magazine? Yeah, sure. Okay, so that's a bit... All right, I'll, I'll try and keep this succinct if I can. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, it started, like I said, it started actually as, like, a small 20-page thing. Uh, we had, like, two weeks to do it, so I sort of made it in a very quick amount of time. You know, and I did it with, like, a limited colour palette and I was creating all of the content myself, so I was doing all the writing, the layout, the illustration, um, you know... 
Uh, and I sort of iterated it again like a year later for like a final major project, which was like a little bit bigger. You know, the first one was 20 pages. This one ended up being about 40, 50 pages. Uh, and this time I was able to get writers to write for me. So I was able to sort of focus a bit more and sort of layout and illustration, the things that I really wanted to do. Um, and then I sort of did a Kickstarter after graduating because I had no idea what to do after graduating. I think it's the same for a lot of people. And uh, we ended up getting, um, the initial pitch was to do a version of A Profound Waste of Time that was 100 pages. Um, and we ended up getting twice as much money than we asked for. We, ended, we asked for 20K and we ended up with 39K exactly. Uh, the reason it's exactly 39k is because my mum upped her pledge so that it could <laughs> so that it could end on like a nice rounded number, which was <laughs> yeah, it was good of her. Um, but yeah, so like when I had all of this money and all of these resources, I kind of realised that I can either make two magazines that are like are okay, or I can pull them into making one thing that's like really impressive. And I think that's a gamble that kind of paid off, thankfully. So yeah, that's how it ended up like this. But within all of that, <clears throat> you then have like this inflated opportunity and inflated ambition. And so rather than make, you see, because my instincts with this would be yeah. awesome. We've got the money now for two issues of this magazine. Mm. Whereas you went for awesome. Let's make <laughs> one issue that's like twice as big and twice as amazing. Yeah. I mean, okay, so there's a couple of things there. Firstly, like, um, I was very, sort of, it was very conscious in my brain, but I, I kind of felt that, you know, I just graduated and I was suddenly in a position of immense, like, responsibility and it was my name on there, you know, and it was very much my baby, this whole thing. Um, I kind of thought that this was, like, my one chance to be a designer and if I, if I bungled it up, like, <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't get a chance again. So I thought... Best to put everything in there. But not only that, um, you know, in the, we, we ran into like a lot of issues in the production of this thing. You know, we had writers pulling out. We had um, problems with like ordering paper and stuff. You know, when, when you get setbacks, um, the amount of time and money that like a delay cost you, it kind of got to the point where like it felt like it was the only way forward really to make something um, that big and that kind of um, substantial. Uh, you know, the more you delay something, I feel like, especially with like a Kickstarter audience where you're constantly communicating things are wrong, there's like a bigger expectation almost, you know, people are giving money <clears throat> and that's really nice of them, but you, you kind of want to deliver on like all the expectations that these people inevitably build up, right? So yeah, that's, you know, there was a, there was a, um, a you know, I didn't consciously go out saying like, oh, I'm going to double the page count of this thing, but it just seemed like, uh, like the natural organic way in which it went. I think one of the luxuries of doing a Kickstarter is that you kind of, you're allowed to sort of um, let the project take its own shape, you know, because you're not answering to anyone and you have all of these resources. So it's like, why not? Let's just see how it goes. And it felt like the right thing. For uh, and, and so you, you really added, I mean, not just <clears throat> making it a bigger magazine, but you added lots of like, really beautiful and very cool little touches Thank so you. Yeah. like you know t tell us about some of the like extra things that you threw <laughs> in as a result <clears throat> well yeah i mean mm. so we have like a risograph print that we did with um hato here in london and they they were great you know that's like a six color risograph print that people can tear out and sort of hang up on their wall um there's like a fold out section of uh, um magazine there's like a sort of like cut down there's like so there's like tip-ins there's fold-out sections there's a glow-in-the-dark cover 
you know, there's a glow in the dark cover. Yeah. I mean, amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I think like, um, you know, for me, the interesting thing about um, a profound waste of time is that it's a games magazine in a culture and industry that is all about the internet. You know, game magazines are kind of dying en masse, really. I mean, you know, and my kind of attitude when I was at art school and I was being exposed to like Little White Lies and Elephant and all these great publications for other areas of like the arts and culture sector was like, why doesn't this exist for games, right? So, you know, a big part of that was thinking like, okay, like how can I make this worthwhile as a thing for gamers to read in print, but they can't just read online. And there are things that you can do physically that you just can't replicate with pixels, right? So, you know, someone could scan a PDF of a port and put it online, right? But it's never going to tell the story of like the glow in the dark cover or the feel of the paper or like the, um, you know, the fold out sections and stuff like it's called a profound waste of time because it's like a joke about video games and like, you know, the idea of games as an artistic medium. But it's also like a sly little comment on making a games magazine in the modern day at all, you know. So, yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the thinking, really. Um, so you, you've got this, um, you've got this like real sense of responsibility to your Kickstarter backers. Mm. You've got this real sense of responsibility to gamers as a whole to give them the magazine that you think they deserve. Sure. Yeah. And you can see how all of that has come together to create this hugely impressive and very beautiful magazine. Mm. But it kind of almost didn't for several <laughs> you, you like you, you referred oh, to man. you referred to like things going wrong I mean yeah. you know we're, we're used to hearing the horror stories of, of like problems mm. people who listen to this podcast love to hear about what went wrong so let, let's just take a minute to get into some of the travails that came with making <laughs> okay. this magazine a moment of silence for like a somber story then um Okay, where to begin? So a big thing about A Profound Waste of Time is that we have actual game developers writing the content. Um, you know, uh, a, a, an example I kind of use is like, I kind of want um, A Profound Waste of Time to be, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Smash Brothers, but you know, that's a big crossover game. I guess a more sort of like um, accessible analogy would be The Avengers. Like I want it to be like this great crossover of people from all levels of the industry sort of coming together. Um, and we were able to get some really big names uh, to sort of commit to the project, which was like really great and it really helped the Kickstarter and it just legitimized the idea, you know? Um, and that's something I'm so grateful for. Uh, but, you know, the side effect of getting people who are game developers to commit is that they're very busy <laughs> and they have a lot of obligations and some people sign up uh, and then it turns out that they, you know, in the months or something that it takes to develop a publication, things change and they can't do it anymore. Um, so we had like a lot of writers pull out. Well, I say a lot, like not a huge amount, but still enough enough to be a problem, right? I mean, even one, losing one writer is a problem, especially when one of the things that you're advertising on the Kickstarter is that this person that you like is going to be writing. So, you know, when that happens, it's, it's not just about like finding a writer. You have to find a writer who's of the same level of excitement for your backers so that they don't feel jilted. The last thing I wanted was to advertise like, oh, all these people are going to be writing and people are excited and like, ah, none of them are. Here's a bunch of writers that are really great writers, but you don't know them or you're not affiliated with the games that they've made or something. So, you know, that took time, you know, because it, it, I think in most situations, if you're like a, um, if you're not writing with like pseudo celebrities, you can just get a um, fresh writer who can like fill that slot really easily. Um, because of the bizarre nature of the beast, like I had to really work to find replacements. And luckily we did, you know, um, because I think, 
one of the nice things about this project is that people like see it and they feel like an affinity for it, especially people in the games industry. So that really, really helped with sort of getting people on board. But, you know, that's one thing that happened. I mean, um, you know, and like when I think about the delays in which that co- caused, like a prime waste of time was initially going to be 100 pages and it was going to take six months to make, <laughs> which I thought was like, you know, I really felt that that was an appropriate time frame of an estimation because you know it took me two weeks to make the first one and like a month to make the second so I was like oh you know six months is plenty of time it ended up taking me a year and a half to get this thing finally out and in people's hands and uh, you know so much of that is to do with like you know your first time doing anything is going to take twice as long or three times as long um, you know the, the realities of like running a company you know there are always delays with printing you know I, I I didn't make it easy for myself, Stephen. You know, like I, I printed on like Monk and Links, which is like a very expensive stock and it's quite hard to get sometimes, you know. There's like a lot of different things that like everything, I think at like every single stage of production that because it was like my first time doing it, you know, A, I was just doing things like sloppily or not sloppily is a bit of a harsh word, but you know, I was doing things like in a kind of juvenile way, which meant that I constantly had to go back and like correct myself and do things properly. And it was a real trial by fire, like the whole thing. But you ended up with a really beautiful and lovely magazine, Mm. as evidenced by the fact that you sold out really quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think uh, there's no question in my mind that it was worth it. Like, all the blood, sweat and tears that sort of went into into making this thing is, like, absolutely 100% worth it. And I I would do it again, and I'm planning to do it again, you know. I think the interesting thing is, though, like, especially when you're, like, a prime waste of time is very small. It's basically me, um, and then we also have, like, Darren Wall, who runs uh, Read Only Memories, which is, like, a video game book publishing company. He helps out as my producer, um, and he's been fantastic. And we also have, like, you know, I got Leo Field to consult, so he came in um, to, like, sort of, like, help steer the ship in terms of some of my design work and stuff, you know really fantastic people but like ultimately you know it's a very very small thing um which kind of inevitably means that um you know when things go wrong you're you're kind of on you're kind of you you're gonna respond slowly just due to the nature just due to the nature of things and and i guess the, so the the big problem that i'm still trying to get to is so you've got this issue comes out people love it it sells out so you say fantastic let's have a, a reprint of the first yeah, issue. Yeah. Let's take advantage of this amazing momentum that we've got off yeah. the back of this. And then what happens? Well, yeah, I'll, so yeah, you're alluding to uh, the nightmare that was the reprint. So, <laughs> okay, so like, what, yeah, what, a big thing that you kind of realize, you know, when you make something like this on your own is that it's not just the, um, it's not just the making of it that is the difficulty it's like for running of it afterwards you know like I had to do a reprint um, and we had a printing company that we were working with who um, sort of took our money and then never delivered on our printing cost on our, on our printing um, on our printing order they never delivered on it so so with that um, kind of comes a sort of you know because I'm small on my own I don't really have like a lot of clout like I can't really throw my weight around um, especially when your printing company is in Croatia. So like right now, I'm still trying to get my money back for this printing job that never materialized. Um, it's just part and parcel of running a small company. I, I, I mentioned um, I mentioned this a lot, but the business side of a profound waste of time is not something that I ever wanted to sign up to. I wanted to make a magazine and I see all the running of the business and stuff 
as a thing that I have to do. You know, I set up a limited company because this is a thing that I had to do in order to give myself the platform to make this stuff. Um, I have become an entrepreneur through making a pot, and but I do see all of this as sort of like, and maybe this is wrong, maybe this is like the wrong way to think about it, I don't know, but I do see it as like secondary to like wanting to create the object, do you know what I mean? I mean I that, that is, I'd say that's almost always the case with an independent magazine maker. I don't think very few people get into this because they want to run the logistics of <laughs> printing and getting your magazine out to shops and oh, chasing yeah. invoices. But yeah, it's it's what you've got to do to, to get it made. So the so we're recording this now just to well, we're early December. Um, the reprint is in shops now. So yeah, it so is, yeah. so how how did you make that happen? Well, I mean, so we we found a new company. Um, mm. When I say new company, I've known about them for ages. Pure Print. They were fantastic. They did such such a good job, and they worked so quickly to get it done because they knew I was in a bit of a pinch. So I'm I'm <laughs> I'm so grateful to Stuart and the rest of the people there. Um, you know, and like, uh, you know, starting the process from scratch was a bit of an ordeal for sure. But, um, you know, they were able to get it out in good time and we're back in stock now and we're able to sort of sell it both on our website and in shops. I'm very thankful that A Profound Waste of Time seems to, you know, for a gaming magazine, it's, it seems to have infiltrated a lot of interesting places. Like we sell it at the V&A um, and we sell it at like, and we're selling it at the Tate Modern now. Um, so really like really like fantastic sort of places for like a gaming magazine to be you know I think what helps is that a profound waste of time is like uh, it's like a fully illustrated um, publication so I think what kind of works in its favor in terms of like as a sellable object is that you don't need to be into video games to have like an enjoyable experience with the magazine you just need to like pretty words and pictures <laughs> and like you know like when you think about uh, a uh, like you know close to 200 pages of like original bespoke illustration and writing that you can't get anywhere else you know I think that's really appealing for a lot of people I, I couldn't agree more I mean I, I personally have not been a gamer for quite a long time like yeah, the, you know when, sure. when I was a teenager I was into it and there are stories in this that you know kind of you 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 hark back to those days of like you know there's a story where someone like kind of is clearing out a wardrobe or something and like finds his old Nintendo 64 mm, mm. and like just gets transported back through like the high scores that he set on I can't even remember what game it is now but that like that's so evocative of like of a time in your life and I think you know you don't need to be a gamer to get like the power of of that experience no for sure i think we i think everyone kind of like charts their life through the media they consume at a certain point do you know what i mean like i think people remember when a certain film came out and i think games especially for a lot of people are like very good like anchor points for the sort of like moments in personal history do you know what i mean i think what's interesting though is like there's also stories in in a plot which are like um you know not really to do with games at all you know there's there's stuff that like a game sort of what a game evokes in someone you know we have stories in there about dealing with grief stories about sort of dealing with depression you know um you know there are stories about using games as therapy uh one of the nice things about you know being a physical publication is that you kind of there's a the format kind of dictates content in a way right so much of games media and sort of games journalism is based on like i don't want to say i'm, I'm going to choose my words carefully here but it's rather reactionary, as in it's, it's based on like headlines and clicks and sort of press releases and sort of, um, you know, there's like a lot of pageantry involved as well. There's a lot of like, oh, 
what's got the highest score out of 10 you know what's what what game is reviewed the best you know what what's uh, going to make for most money and stuff you know there's a lot of spectacle to sort of games journalism at the moment um and a lot of that's dictated by being on the internet you know they have like a click per ad based system so a lot of companies move towards this format of like short stub articles in which get people to click um but when you're with a publication when you're with like something physical it completely that's a complete that demands because of its nature like a completely different kind of content right you can spend time with something it requires like a focus it lends itself much more to sort of personal stories and long form writing and i think we'd really try to embrace that with um the publication to try and make it like a complement to sort of games journalism that you can access online because yeah i mean the internet is an objectively better way if you want to find out what a game looks and feels like because you can look at video and there are screenshots and stuff but um if you want to see how a game feels or what a game evokes in someone or like maybe history pieces about you know like if you want anything just like a bit more beefier i think a physical publication is much nicer and we shouldn't we shouldn't abandon that entirely especially in the game scene i yeah, think yeah no 100% agree so look you you've got your reprint of issue 1 out in shops now I do. and you've said you are working on an issue 2 so when can we expect to see that well so here's the thing i really want issue 2 to be as good as issue 1 uh, because issue 1 was such a miracle in a lot of ways uh, that's going to take time i'm really trying because i know that a profound waste of time is something that when people see it, they like it. So I'm trying to build up his audience as big as I possibly can. I'm going to see about maybe modeling a sort of business structure off like Anxie Mag, you know, something where like we use crowdfunding for like the first couple of issues. Um, but we'll see. I'm sort of like I'm developing issue two behind closed doors and I'm going to see like what the best avenue is. But right now, I think my focus is just to sort of build up a profound waste of time Um as much as possible with an audience, you know? Because I, I really believe that, like, the main obstacle for a profound waste of time is just getting people to see it, you know? When you've got anything new, it's just like, let's get people to see it, because once people see it, they I think they love it. So, yeah, we'll see about issue two, but for, for, for now, just focusing on, like, shipping out issue one. <laughs> <laughs> one step at a time. All right, yeah. well, look, um, thank you very much for coming over, um, and um, I'm really looking forward to seeing where you go next. Oh, thank you so much, Stephen. It's been great to be here. Cheers. Okay, that's all for this week. I would like to say thanks again to Cass for coming over to the office to speak about the magazine. And good luck with that next issue too. He mentioned Anxi and their use of Kickstarter as a way of selling new issues on an ongoing basis. And I agree, I think that is a really interesting and exciting new opportunity that's coming up. We had Bobby Johnson from Anxi on the podcast a few weeks ago speaking about exactly that and their experiments with using Kickstarter as a sort of alternative to subscriptions. So if you'd like to hear more on that, just search for Stack Magazines on SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and scroll back a few episodes to the Anxi one. And while you're there, make sure you follow us so we can deliver our next episode straight to you as soon as it's ready. We've got some really interesting conversations lined up over the next few weeks. And of course, you should check back in the archives for your favourite magazines, uh, see if you've missed any that you want to catch up on there. Okay, thanks very much for listening to this one, and we'll be back with a new episode next week. <laughs>